Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto finance to global macro. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Hey everyone, how's it going? Hope it's been a great week so far. Thanks so much for tuning into this bonus episode, which I decided to do because Elon Musk on Clubhouse is probably the most interesting thing that's happened this week so far. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Elon went on the social audio platform called Clubhouse this past Monday. He was joined by notable investors such as Mark Andreessen from A16Z and Gary Tan from Initialized Capital, among others. Apparently, the main chat room was so overloaded, there were multiple overflow rooms, and people also had live streams on YouTube for those who aren't Clubhouse members and couldn't get an invite in time. Crazy how the entire Clubhouse team is 10 people and they only have one full-time iOS engineer. Kudos for keeping the platform running, guys. Seriously, though, who wouldn't want to tune in to hear the world's richest man casually chat about everything from Mars, aliens, and memes to Bitcoin, monkey brains, Neuralink, and COVID-19? Not to mention, towards the end of the live stream, Elon surprised the hosts by interviewing Robinhood CEO Vladimir Tenev. As it turns out, the truth is often more boring than the conspiracies and memes that get created as a result of the situation itself. Basically, if you're looking for a juicy story or an apology, you're not going to get it. The reason behind Robinhood actions apparently boiled down to good old capital requirements, and it seems many details are yet to be revealed. I came by a thread on Twitter by Christina Chi, the CEO of Databento, who said the following, quote, The problem with Robinhood is that their risk management is effed up, and they came super close to imploding. Somehow they let their customers take risky leveraged positions and thus were hit suddenly with a $3 billion capital requirement. But Robinhood's balance sheet is under $500 million, so they needed a $1 billion temporary bailout from Sequoia and other investors. So the reason why Vlad seems shady is because he's hiding the fact that Robinhood nearly imploded and everyone would have lost money anyways. And Robinhood would risk getting investigated by regulators again. Remember how they were fined $65 million by the SEC less than two months ago? They had just closed that awful chapter and didn't want to reopen another can of worms. That's why Vlad is stuck between a rock and a hard place. They had to choose between pissing off customers versus pissing off regulators. Someone in their clearing risk department was totally incompetent, and someone at the sea level didn't see the situation coming. TLDR, Robinhood got greedy letting their customers overtrade, took a gamble with risk, and were hit with a quote-unquote discretionary $3 billion bill by the National Securities Clearing Corporation. Between pissing off users via restrictions versus users and the SEC with the news of a near implosion, they chose the former with poor execution, end quote. The Robinhood CEO will be testifying before the U.S. House Committee on February 18th. In the meantime, for those of you looking to get caught up on the situation, I recommend you tune in to Elon's Blitz interview with Vlad for some color on the situation. Just scroll to the one hour, 20 minute mark of the link I'll be posting below. Many of you tuning into Crypto Unstacked are probably crypto enthusiasts or at least crypto curious and interested in the incredible financial revolution we are seeing today. We're now witnessing the after effects of the Wall Street bets saga 
that saw a community of retail traders short squeeze a $12 billion hedge fund called Melvin Capital. According to the Wall Street Journal, quote, Melvin is known for running an expansive and aggressive short book that has sometimes made up the bulk of the fund's gains, an uncommon dynamic in the industry, end quote. Retail investors piled into so-called meme stocks, such as GameStop, which is one of Melvin's concentrated short targets, sending their AUM down 50% in January alone after sustaining heavy losses on their short position. I know, it all sounds so crazy, but here's the big picture. We're starting to see the wheels of the next big financial revolution spinning. It seems like the guys in the clubhouse chat room yesterday agree that this is just the beginning. All right, for today's episode, I'll be focusing mainly on Elon Musk. What's fascinating about Elon is that he is enamored with big questions, questions that are daunting and which we don't have immediate answers for and require deep and mind-bending exploration. For Elon, many of these questions have to do with humanity and life itself. Elon Musk is fascinating not only because he's a meme master on Twitter, apparently he's got some pretty kick-ass meme dealers, but also because of the public interest he has ignited in things that the layman would not dream up, like underground high-speed tunneling, commercializing space travel, and becoming superhuman. At the core, Elon is interested in innovation, so it's no wonder that he would eventually come around to embracing Bitcoin, something whose properties look nothing like the fiat monies that exist today, but rather represent the future of money. During the interview, Elon said, Many friends of mine have tried to convince me to get involved in Bitcoin for a long time, like from when it first popped out there. My friend, my bully, he, he actually had Bitcoin cake, a cake that was like had a bit sort of Bitcoin symbol on it, and he fed me a slice of Bitcoin cake in 2013. So, I mean, clearly I should have at least bought some Bitcoin eight years ago. <laughs> like, what, what more do people need to do? You know, like, Jesus. Talk about being late. <laughs> talk about being late to the party. Um, um, so I was a little slow on the uptake there. Uh, my apologies. Um, but I, I, and, and I think about it for a bit. But I, I do at this point think Bitcoin is a good thing. So I am a supporter of Bitcoin. You know, you know like I said, I'm late, late to the party, but I'm a supporter of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is really on the verge of getting broad acceptance by sort of the conventional uh, finance people. I think Elon's finally come around to Bitcoin because what it represents mirrors what Elon wants to achieve for humanity, and that is freedom. You can think about it this way. Similar to how Satoshi sought to recreate money from first principles with Bitcoin, Elon is approaching space innovation from first principles thinking as well. Core to Elon's goal in the subterranean with a boring company, on land with Tesla, in space with SpaceX, and of course, in our minds, so to say, with Neuralink, is one thing, improving quality of life. Elon wants to minimize the existential risk for civilization and work towards making semi-utopian futures real. When Elon talks about a future with multi-planetary species, he's abstracting away the notion of us as earthlings and disassociating us humans with planet Earth, meaning he's long suspended the belief that we as humans cannot live on another planet. In fact, he's gone public with the goal of establishing a permanent foothold on Mars with 1 million people by the year 2050. Elon believes that life can become multiplanetary and we can have a self-sustaining city on Mars, which I think is one of the most important things we could possibly do 
for uh, ensuring the long-term existence of consciousness. Apparently, he's been enamored with expanding the scope of consciousness since he was a kid, when he first had an existential crisis. He was asking questions like, why are we here? And what is the meaning of it all? Working through that process led him to seek fundamental questions, which has presumably had a big impact on his worldview. In order for us to gain a, a better understanding of what questions to ask or to understand what it's all about, we have to increase the scope and scale of consciousness so that we're, we're better able to figure out which, which questions to ask and, and answer them. The broader uh, in scope, larger in scale, that consciousness is uh, the more likely we are to be able to answer these questions and figure out what the heck's going on. Why are we here? To answer the fundamental questions. As mentioned earlier, I believe that crypto and space are about what humanity could be, not what humanity is now. The crypto space and the space space, so to say, are new frontiers ripe for exploration, tearing down old frameworks of life and replacing them with something new. When reading about SpaceX, I came by an article called SpaceX, a first principles company, which talks about, well, exactly that. How Elon Musk and the engineering team at SpaceX uses first principles thinking to solve problems. Taking the Google definition of first principles, it is, quote, a basic foundational proposition or assumption that cannot be deduced from any other proposition or assumption, end quote. As mentioned, Elon's vision is to make human life multiplanetary, and the way to approach this enormous goal is to boil problems down to their simplest elements. In this case, the problem is the economics of space travel, the cost of getting to space. How is SpaceX able to make travel to space a fraction of what it costs today? For reference, in 2010, NASA was paying roughly $380 million per launch. SpaceX currently boasts a launch price of one-sixth of that price, around $60 million per launch. The problem, however, is non-reusable rockets. As Elon explained on the call, You need a fully and rapidly reusable rocket, orbital rocket. This is the, the holy grail of rocketry. Uh, so no one has right. ever succeeded in creating a fully reusable rocket. And it can't just be fully reusable, it needs to be rapidly reusable, so it doesn't take like several months of refurbishment between uh, flights. Um, it needs to be much like aircraft, where the cost of uh, an air flight is um, the, the biggest component of that is fuel. You, know, you can't just be throwing rockets away every time. Right. Uh, and then you need to have uh, orbital refilling, so where you can uh, send the ship up to orbit, then send another ship up, dock with a transfer propellant, so that you can load up to being almost full with propellant and then go to Mars. Solve this, and we're well on our way in terms of travel beyond Earth, commercially speaking, he says. Going back to my earlier comparison between Satoshi and Elon Musk, it's worth thinking about their worldview as innovators, arguably in separate fields. Still, I think they share more similarities than differences. Elon's worldview is very much oriented toward an open world, similar to the worldview that many crypto folk hold as well. Thinking from first principles is about questioning the basics. And in the case of Bitcoin, it's about relearning money and understanding money from a new angle. And that is the opportunity crypto presents. Bitcoin was created because Satoshi saw the problems with a fiat-based monetary system. He boiled down the problem to its fundamentals and came up with a cryptocurrency that was both non-sovereign, meaning not controlled by any government, and scarce with a 21 million token supply cap. When it comes to large feats like space travel, first principles force us to ask equally large questions, such as how do we harness more energy 
to sustain life beyond Earth. His spacefaring work with SpaceX and AI efforts with Neuralink all point to advancing civilization to give it a chance to pass the so-called Great Filter. According to Wikipedia, the Great Filter, in the context of the Fermi Paradox, is whatever prevents non-living matter from undergoing abiogenesis in time to expanding lasting life as measured by the Kardashev scale. The key threshold of when we would pass the Great Filter, or this, this particular Great Filter, is, um, is Mars sufficiently self-sustaining such that if the ship stopped coming from Earth for any reason, it could be you know, something massive or, or some, something banal. I mean, civilization on Earth could end with a bang or a whimper. But either way, if the ship stopped coming from Mars, does Mars die out or, or not? Um, and, and Mars only has to be missing one little ingredient, like the equivalent of vitamin C, and it, it will survive for a while, but it will not. But it will eventually die out. So it's kind of getting getting a seat on Mars to pass that that critical threshold where it is self-sustaining. Um, and are we able to do that before some calamity or or a gradual decline in civilization occurs that prevents the the, the ships from going there? That's the key threshold. I mean, in a more pithy way, is like, does the city on Mars become self-sustaining? Which comes first, a self-sustaining city on Mars or World War III? Some of you may be familiar with the Kardashev scale. For those who aren't, according to Wikipedia, the scale was proposed by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev in 1964. And it's a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy they are able to use. The scale has three base classes. Type 1, which uses petawatts of energy, type 2, which uses yottawatts of energy, and type 3, which uses way more than that. And other astronomers have extended it to type 4 and type 5. I came across an article from 2014 about the Kardashev scale, which wrote, Will we remain a type 0 civilization, or will we advance and make our way into the stars? That's right. We as an earthly species are not even a type 1 civilization yet. And we have a long way to go. According to one scientist, we're between 100 to 200 years away. To give you an idea of what achieving type 1 civilization looks like, it means that, quote, humans are able to harness all the energy that is available from a neighboring star, gathering and storing it to meet the energy demands of a growing population, end quote. Granted, Harnessing all the energy means that we could theoretically control all natural forces, including the weather and earthquakes. What strikes me, though, is this next statement the article makes, which is, these kinds of feats are hard to believe, but compared to the advances that may still be to come, these are just basic and primitive levels of control. Let that sit with you for just a minute. In the grand scheme of things, we are a type zero society, and in order to achieve type one status as a species, we have to have the ability to control natural forces. To give you an idea of what type four looks like, the article says that we need to be able to harness the energy content of the entire universe and with that traverse the accelerating expansion of space and even in some advanced human race, live inside supermassive black holes. For those curious about type five, basically at that point, humans are godlike, omniscient, and can manipulate the universe. So when you think about it, crypto and space are about what humanity could be, not what humanity is now. This is what I always go back to when I hear Elon talk about innovation and the future. Realizing the potential of innovation in these two fields 
requires us to be building from first principles for an open world. Having said all that, does developing reusable rockets to send people to space seem like an impossible feat? Does transitioning from a fiat-based sovereign governed monetary system to a borderless, crypto-oriented future seem impossible? On the contrary, these seem like very feasible scientific and technological advancements, so long as we're building for an open world. So how can we as a species better harness the power of first principles thinking so that we might see more revolutions in our lifetime, whether they be on Earth or in space? I think it requires us to do two things. One, constantly deconstruct our worldview and question what we understand or don't understand for that matter about the world. Two, assume emerging technologies such as crypto and AI as critical for changing the global order and necessary advancements for building a more open world. These are just a few takeaways from Elon's chat on Clubhouse. I'm sure there are many, many more that you will have as well. Do you agree or disagree with his comments? Let me know what you think on Twitter at Les Lambo. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and see you at the next episode.